Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the new episode of Real World Education Podcast. Our mission here is to challenge and change the education system using an inside-out approach and we hope that you become a better leader and a producer rather than just a student or an employee. Our aim here is to interview industry experts and leaders each week with the hope that you can come to the realization that life is so much more than what is being currently taught to us by the society and the education system. And we hope that this podcast provides you with inspiration, with motivation and actionable insights so that you too can not only challenge and change the status quo, but also create your own definition of success that's uh, that's great advice so just to sort of summarize you know everyone is on say the spectrum let's call it mental health and yeah. uh, those uh, people who don't take preventative measures over a period of time they try they go from dealing with mental health issues to having an actual mental illness and uh, you also mentioned that uh, you know your biggest motivation and this was you discussed this with hala as well i saw the interview where your biggest motivation for writing the book was that you know, the solution to the problem is the problem itself <laughs> you know what i mean like the, the solution to social anxiety is you speak to a professional you speak to family but when you have social anxiety you don't want to speak to anyone so right. that's the main reason behind writing the book and which is uh, which is great and um and the other thing is you know we're all trying uh different identities trying to see which one sort of uh correlates the most with us but uh, over a period of time because you don't take the preventative actions those labels become you you become your labels basically even though you're not right yeah that's exactly it and, and like the truth is is like you know i remember um if you ever heard of the author uh robert green mm-hmm. um when he, when he came on my show we talked about this and he basically told me that like we as humans like we like to think that we're so unique and like our our thoughts and our ideas and our emotions they're ours and we take them personally the the truth is is that um the truth is is like we are not the origin of our thoughts we are very much like the the mishmash and the the pot of stew in the jungle of all of human civilizations all different sorts of ideas that we've heard things from our parents things from our religion things from our education system things from our society that literally form us and Definitely. so to be quite honest with you man i literally felt like when i was 18 that i had no idea who i was i had no idea and i was ashamed to admit that because everyone else is like everyone else has like these perfect identities like oh yeah i'm a i'm a soccer player and i like this but i felt like for me i didn't have any of that and you know one of the biggest things that has has helped me through this has helped me through this process of of figuring out like inside of my head inside of my heart inside of my brain what is mine like what is authentically mine that i'm proud to hold up and live and then what is some bs what is some crap that i know my brain has picked up from the outside world mm-hmm. and like i'll tell you i first realized this when i was suicidal and i realized this because i you know i was getting all these different thoughts from my head all these different negative thoughts and 
I truly started to think about those. And I was like, you know, none of these thoughts are actually mine. And you actually start to trace these thoughts back. And it's like, hey, this is actually a belief or a conclusion that my mind believes because, you know, it remembers the terrible racist environment that I was in and all the bad things that I heard and how people treated me and how I was abused a while ago in my life. And so your brain will literally pick up these things and it'll create it inside of its own and it'll repeat it in your voice. Yeah. That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing. Because this is not a conscious experience. You know, this is all happening very subconsciously or unconsciously. And uh, but the end result is it it very much becomes, you know, it has a consciousness of its own. And then that becomes you. That's exactly it. And so, you know, like, that's why people don't know about this before, you know, it happens. And, um, you know, I think one of the greatest tools that began to help me conceptually realize this was meditation. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah. And, and like, you know, what I, what I want to say is that, you know, I, there's so many different forms of meditation, but I think for the most part, most of society doesn't really understand what meditation is. I think people look at meditation as, you know, like you, you sit down and, and you, you hum, you're like hum. And then all of a sudden you start to, you start to feel so Zen and you're in the clouds and you're floating and then all your stress melts away. There's definitely some meditations like that, but mm. that's not normal meditation. Uh, meditation is like going to the gym for your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it should be hard. You know, people that try to meditate, they say, oh, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stop my thoughts or I, I couldn't focus on anything except for my thoughts. I couldn't focus. And that's the point. You know, that's, yeah. that's so powerful. <laughs> but the biggest thing that I would say is like what meditation, like the best analogy that I've found for it is um, – you know, we like a human being is like an iPhone. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're like a smartphone and you know, you've got hardware, you've got software inside of there. You have the physical body and then you have all the, the code, the stuff that makes it run, which is like our mind, our, our heart, our spirit. And basically what we do ever since we are born, we're like, ever since we, like our mother gives birth to us and we, we, you know, we're like literally attached to a cord. Like we're literally attached to an umbilical cord. And so they cut that. And then what happens is we become attached to a different cord. And that cord is attached to the outside world. And so throughout our lives, we have this constant connection between the outside world and ourselves. And this can be demonstrated by like you're an iPhone. And then if you want to charge your iPhone, you, you know, you take the plug, you put it in the iPhone, and then you put it in the wall. The wall is the world. And mm-hmm. it's constantly giving you power. It's constantly giving you energy, constantly giving you information, ideas, beliefs. And so what happens is basically the only time in your life where you ever have a chance to remove that plug from the wall, where you have a chance to disconnect your iPhone is basically meditation. Like, I don't think there's anything else. There's no other activity, maybe except for like some breathing exercises where you are in the present moment in the present reality where you're not, you know, your eyes are closed, you're detached from the external environment, and you're just on the inside. You're just <laughs> in that internal world. And when you're just in that internal world, what begins to happen is you begin to see these connections consciously. And you begin to see like, huh, you know, my, my emotional state 
is tied into my email, the different like successes, the different notifications that I get of like, whether I have a, a, a deal that closed in my business or whether maybe it's somebody angry that doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to see these connections of how the outside world has been designed to control us, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, hey, I like, you know, if I'm depressed, I'm going to go eat a cookie because that cookie is going to give me feel good uh, neurochemicals for a limited period of time, but then it's going to hurt me. You know, mm-hmm. that connection is saying like every time I'm sad or depressed, I'm going to go hook up with a chick and have sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I'm this, I'm going to go do this drug. And so we form all these connections throughout our lives that may be incorrect, that may be wrong, that may not actually lead us to uh, getting our needs met, the ones that we need to have met as human beings. And so when you're able to meditate regularly, you see and you are constantly inquisitive in this process of disconnecting from the external environment. And, um, you know, like an analogy – that I was told by, um, by Jay Shetty when I got the chance to interview him was when you do this every day, when you're meditating, it's almost like you're looking at your mind as if it's like a garden. Mm-hmm. And basically what you do is, you know, like you see the different flowers, maybe you plant a seed and you want to take care of it so that it can grow into a flower. But then also what happens is because you meditate and, and you can sort of be more inquisitive, you also see things that happen before they happen. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is like what happens in the garden is like, if you have a garden and you have flowers, there are going to be weeds that come and they're going to come and they're going to strangle your flowers. And the truth is, is like, you don't know where a weed is going to come from, but when you meditate and you can sit down and be still, you can sometimes see, these mm-hmm. weeds or these problems that are coming in your rear view mirror. And sometimes you can just take them, see them where they are and just pluck them out and just shut that down and say, Hey, I'm not gonna, you know, fall into this connection that tells me that I need outside validation from food. Mm-hmm. Let me try to see if I can become more aware of this pattern journal about it and then find a substitute, find out what my brain and my mind is really trying to communicate to me where maybe I need some help in this other department, whether that's in terms of my health or, or, or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the way that I think about it. That's been probably one of the most powerful things that I have done every single day that I have continued to do every mm-hmm. single day, ever since I was you know, 18. I kind of discovered this of, of meditation for 15, 20 minutes a day. It's so important. That's amazing. Uh, you know, just to sort of uh, extend the analogy a bit, because uh, mm. you said uh, we humans, we, you know, we're like iPhones and the world is our charger. Now, if you keep the iPhone connected to the charger forever, you know, the battery is going to explode or, you know, it's going to yeah. drain. The, the performance of the battery over the time will you know, it'll decrease at a rapid rate. So the best thing to do is every day, you know, you just disconnect for 30, 40 minutes a day. And that in itself can be so valuable for you that, and this is obviously over a period of time, but um, I think meditation obviously is one of the most important things you can do on a daily basis, apart from journaling. Uh, and, you, you know, I had a conversation with my mentor about uh, spirituality and uh, meditation. And uh, I've been meditating now 
continuously for about 15 days. I've been meditating before, but it was always on and off. But after mm. 15 days, I sort of realized the vicious cycle we are in when it comes to our thoughts. Because, uh, yeah. and this is such a weird, uh, it's very difficult to put it in words, but I was just sitting in my desk trying to get some work done. I thought about something and then, you know, I realized, okay, let's be mindful. Let's get back to work. Let the thought go. And then I think five seconds later, something else came in and that's when it yeah. came I was like, that's the, that's the bloody problem. You know, that's what, it yeah. is. that's what meditation helps with. So that's wonderful advice. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. And what I would say too, to add on to that is, you know, one thing that I have learned is that if, if you have, like, if you've barely done any kind of like, like mind training skill or habit, like meditation, like uh, like breathing, like being empathetic, like having tough conversations. Um, it, it's very hard for anyone, but especially those people, to control their thoughts. And if you think that you're going to defeat your thoughts with more thoughts, then you're screwed. Because yeah. the truth is, is the mind is the master of the game. The mind knows more than than you do at any given moment. And so your mind knows all your weaknesses. It knows all the different um, parts of your character that it can expose to get you to do the thing that it wants to do. And so, yeah, man, you're exactly right. We are all in this vicious cycle of thoughts. And, and it's like only until you realize that when you just realize that you just need to shut up and just meditate. Like that's when you just realize like, oh, no, no, no. When I sit down and I meditate and my brain is trying to tell me, oh, Mark, but, you know, like in two minutes, you know, get up because you have to, you have to write down your to-do list, which you forgot to do, or you forgot this thing. And like your brain literally tries every single kind of excuse in the book to get you to not keep sitting down and meditating. Definitely. And that is the same exact thing that it's going to do later on in the day. If you know you get defeated by its thoughts, which if you don't meditate, you probably you will. will. And you so, will, definitely. And, so, and the truth is, like even if you do meditate, it still might happen. But mm -hmm. you have such a powerful example to go off of, mm -hmm. um, and so that's really the power of meditation. It's it's like seeing and it's like realizing that vicious cycle when you meditate in the morning before you realize it in the middle of the day. So you already have that understanding. So you can just do what you got to do without your mind, you know, playing ping pong with you. Absolutely. You know, as just uh, as uh, Jay Shetty said, you're able to spot the weed coming your way so you can take mm -hmm. preventative actions. That's amazing. So, oh. you know, following your sort of life's journey or your life story, you've achieved amazing things. You're just 23 <laughs> and you've written like an amazing book. And, uh, you know, we highly I'll put the links in the description. You have a podcast that's in top 100 globally. You know, this is not Apple podcast. This is globally a top 100 podcast. And that's amazing. Despite having to deal with social anxiety. And, uh, you know, you mentioned in your interviews that the main reason was that you had the insight that other people have uh, done it before you. And there's scientific mm -hmm. research out there that can sort of help you overcome social anxiety. However, yeah. you know, some people, they might not be interested or they might not even know that they're suffering from uh, mental uh, illness. So yeah. there are a couple of things in your book that are so profound that it can completely shift one's perspective. 
So, you know, the first macro topic that I want to discuss with you is how being socially anxious is not actually our own fault. And this is the bio, uh, evolutionary biology mm. angle that I want to take. So can you just expand yeah. a bit more on that? Yeah, definitely. So if you are alive today, you have to understand that, you know, you came from your mom and your mom came from her mom and her mom came from her mom and her mom came from her mom and her mom came from her mom and, her mom from her mom and so on and so forth. When you realize that and you begin to realize that the human beings who are alive today are the offspring, are the descendants of actually the most anxious human beings who existed <laughs> because those are the only people who survived. Yeah. People out there who weren't anxious and who were idiots and who just ran around or something, they probably got murdered by a tribe or some kind of a tiger or something that killed them. Um, and so literally the, the most uh, anxious human beings are were the successful ones, and mm -hmm. that's us. And so we all have to realize that when it comes to anxiety in general, but specifically social anxiety, we are, are sort of like, uh, you know, don't take it so personally because the truth is, is that social anxiety is not new, right? And like, mm -hmm. I, I talk about this with people who are like in sort of like the older generation who are like, you know, back in my day, nobody had anxiety or back, you know, back in my day, it's like, all right, bro, well, we don't live in that world anymore. Yeah. But one of the biggest things that, um, one of the biggest things that I tell them is that social anxiety is not a new thing where mm -hmm. like a lot of people think because like, oh, because everyone's on their phones, it means that everyone has social anxiety. Nobody can have a real conversation anymore. And that's just not the truth. That's not really supported by the data. That's not really supported by the facts. And the facts are, is that social anxiety is the most ancient form of anxiety. It is one of the most primal forms of anxiety that literally has to do with how we even became human in general. And what I'm talking about here is, you know, our brain is this expansive organ that has existed for tens of thousands of years that has created all sorts of cognitive biases and shortcuts to get us to survive, to get us to think even when we don't want to think in our own consciousness, to do it automatically so that we can just survive. And one of the rules that our brain has created for thousands of years is that if you are not in a group and if you are not accepted by your group, mm. you are literally going to die. Because if you are not accepted by your group, then that means that you're alone. If you're mm. alone, that was almost always synonymous with you were going to get killed in the woods alone or like kidnapped and like, and like you know, I don't know, raped or something like that. And so that is what our brain creator rules off of. And so when it comes to, you know, if you're, if you're like in a meeting or if you're in some sort of a classroom or if you're in a group and you feel like you want to speak up, you feel like there's something that you want to say. But then you go to say that thing, and then for whatever reason, it just feels like your brain is not letting you say it. Yeah. It feels like for whatever reason, your brain is just holding you back. You have like this weird feeling in maybe in your stomach, in your armpits, maybe your thoughts are racing. Um, and then maybe you do get the chance to speak, and then you totally forget what you're going to say, or you just like, you stutter, or, or, you, bl or you blither, you, you batter. And so... The truth is what you have to realize is 
if you were in some kind of a, a group, like in your village, in your tribe, uh, way back before when human beings lived in hunter-gatherer societies, the truth is, is like if you said something that your tribe didn't like, if you said something that was against like the leader of your tribe, mm. one of the most common forms of punishment is social exile, ostracization. And that's literally kicking you out of the group, which your brain equates to you dying yeah. in the yeah. woods. And so people who have people who are more prone to this, and like, you know, they've done various studies that show people who have social anxiety on the hardware side of their brain, their brain's amygdala, which, um, you know, is responsible for producing the sensation of fear in your body that is literally bigger. And so usually social anxiety is triggered by, um, you know, the being in the wrong environment, genetics, uh, usually it's triggered by some sort of a traumatic event, some sort of, uh, an event that, 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 um, where you're socially humiliated, where you mm -hmm. get exiled. Um, and that can be metaphorically, or that can even be symbolic. And so when that happens for a certain percentage of the population, that is when all of a sudden, you know, the, the system scrambles and it's like, oh my God, now we have to regulate our nervous system to make sure that we never experience this feeling of social exile again. And so if you have social anxiety, that means never speaking again, never opening your mouth. And so that is really what social anxiety is, at least at a basic evolutionary level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so it's just, you know, if you are anxious, say, you know, that's the biggest thing when it comes to public speaking is people freak out because they, you know, you literally don't want to stand out. It's not your fault, but there are ways to sort of overcome it, uh, which we'll be discussing shortly. The other thing that, that, you know, stood out was the immortality project. And this is, you know, it hits so close to home because as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to wake students and young uh, professionals to realize that, you know, life's much more than what your society and the education and even sometimes parents have told you about. Yeah. So can you just uh, briefly discuss the immortality project and then we can move on to the, uh, the specifics? Sure. Um, yeah. So I talk about this in my book because, you know, basically, you know, one of the most primal fears at our conscious level is that one day we are no longer going to exist. One day we are going to die. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's debatable that there's this theory that throughout our entire lives, we always have some very basic, low-level feeling of anxiety because we are going to die. Mm -hmm. And so that is, that is a fact. We all have that. And the truth is, is when you look at our society today, um, you know, I, I can't speak on where you live, but at least in America, and I would say most developed countries, we have completely just like put death in a bubble and then just stepped outside of that. You know, like we have these funerals, we have these um, different different places where we put dead people, but nobody really thinks about their death. And so, if you live in that kind of society where we have just uh, decompartmentalized and just put death in like this specific area that is reserved for funeral homes or churches, a lot of us end up growing up thinking that we're going to, to live forever. And more importantly, acting like we are going to live forever. 
And so, you know, one of the biggest things that if you look across human civilization is this idea that every single person who has wanted significance, that has wanted validation, that has wanted purpose, legacy, influence, they realize this. They realize that they're going to die one day. And they realize that when they die, they're, they're gone. Nothing is going to last of them. However, it's just whatever they leave behind. And so that's why there are statues. That's why there are books. That's why there are paintings. That's why there are all these pieces of, of, of art forms or other things where we try to leave a piece behind. So like, for example, I know if I die today, my podcast is still going to exist. There's almost 600 episodes of me talking about that. I have a book. I have you know, different things that are already made and will continue to live on. You know, if you have a company, if you have a foundation, some sort of a charity, this is another great example of how you can sort of build yourself into the world. And so, um, and so yeah, I mean, all of us, we all have a need to actually do this at a subconscious level. Um, and so, yeah, that's like one of the biggest things that I've learned because the truth is, is like when you start to think about your death, when you start to think about like, oh, holy crap, I'm actually – not going to live forever, and literally I could die tomorrow, then you start to think about like, oh my God, I, I, like there are so many things that I haven't experienced yet. And the truth is, is, when you start to think like that, you also start to think like, hey, I have social anxiety, or I have this problem, or, I ha or I'm depressed, or, or my business shut down, or my parents hate me, or my kids hate me. And you have this massive problem in front of you, but then it just becomes like, hey, do I want to be on my deathbed and just be like, man, thank God I played it safe. Man, thank God you know, I, I didn't tell that person what I wish I told them. No, you're absolutely not going to say that because the truth is, is that when you die, you are truly going to – if you weren't living your life the way that you wanted to live it, you're going to have so many regrets. And the truth is like when you die, none of this stuff is going to matter. None of this petty stuff that our ego wants to blame of you getting embarrassed in a social situation. None of that is going to matter. The only Absolutely. thing that's going to matter is what you actually did. And so for me, that was one of the biggest motivations that I had on top of the immortality project of like literally just realizing that I'm going to, to die. Because mm -hmm. when you do that, then you actually – are like the person you want to be. So like, for example, you know, I'm on this podcast with you. Um, you know, I was a little bit late to this because I was on a different call and, you know, I, I opened up zoom and then right in front of me, I have two different options. I have one option is just like, okay, Mark, just like do whatever, answer this guy's questions just to get by, give him the most basic thing, just to do it, whatever. Or, Hey Mark, um, you know, it's been a pretty long day you know, already, I've already talked a lot. Um, I'm kind, I'm a little bit unfocused, but regardless, um, I'm going to present myself in the best way and give the most authentic answers possible because I know I could literally die right after this interview. And this would be the last interview that would be out there. And for all I know, there could be, you know, like a 16 year old version of myself who's listening to this podcast, who maybe wouldn't be pulled to it if I didn't present my authentic self. And so I, I do this every day. Like, for example, I have, I talk about this in the book, but I have a reminder that goes off my phone every single day that says, 
Mark, you're going to die one day. Life is short. Don't take things for granted. Live in the present moment. And so I have that that goes off every day. Um, it used to go off for me twice a day, but now it's just one a day. Uh, but this is, this is one of the most powerful things because the truth is, is like, once you, once you like discover this about death, then you discover what life is truly worth living for. And so, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, especially the thing about the 16 year old boy. That's amazing. And I just wanted to sort of thank you. I, I understand it's been a long day for you as well. So, you know, just thank you for, thank you so much for being so, uh, detail oriented in your answers. I really appreciate that. And, um, so, you know, uh, you met, you've discussed so many things in your, uh, book, the exact ways to sort of overcome social anxiety. So we can't cover them all, but there are just yeah. a couple that I'd like to discuss. The first thing would be hands down the biochemistry. And yeah. this is, I think the most undervalued thing, especially now it is your yeah. diet and 100%. your sleep because the diet, yeah. like when, when you're at home, you're constantly at home, you know, you're not going to office. So you basically let, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I've let my diet go. And as a result, I've gained weight. I'm sort of dealing with those problems on top of my, say the podcast and the startup and then sleep. Cause you know, there's a, used to be balanced between work and then your personal life, which is gone now, you know? So yeah. both of these are, you know, taking a massive hit. So what are some of the best practices for both? Okay, so here's what I would say, man. So if you told me four or five years ago to focus on my diet, I would say, you know, like, why does that matter? Like, isn't that only for losing weight? Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that our society, our world just doesn't really have a great understanding of health in general, and specifically how that relates to mental health and our food and our diet. So, you know, one thing I want to cover before that real quick is, um, one thing I want to cover before that real quick is, um, one of the most powerful things that I learned is that anxiety and depression is um, it's one of those things that if people have it, they take it personally. Um, and what I mean by that is like people will say to themselves, you know, I have anxiety, depression, even if they don't know it or not, or they just think bad about themselves and they think I can't possibly do this because of that. And the truth is, is that, Anxiety and depression are literally like these scientific uh, phenomenon that's happening in your brain. Like it's it's bigger than you, and so it, it, you shouldn't necessarily blame yourself for that or say it's, that it's your fault. And one of the most powerful things that I began to 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 learn that helped me shift this mindset was the fact that um, if you can understand that anxiety, depression, any of your problems are really more scientific based, then what happens is you no longer look at yourself as a moral or ethical failure, which, is, which actually prevents people from working on themselves, which actually prevents people from whatever it is, changing their diet, fixing their, their sleep, doing whatever. It's the fact that they don't think they're worth it because they're caught up in this shame and guilt cycle because they are taking personally and they're looking at themselves as an existential failure. When in reality, the way you should be looking at it is more or less of like from a more curious approach of looking at yourself like a science project and saying like, hey, you know, let me experiment with these things. Let me experiment with these habits and see what happens. And so 
you know, I'll just cover one for now for the sake of time. But one of the biggest things that I can say that will literally change the way that you think about everything is, um, is literally this, man. So uh, there is this neurotransmitter called serotonin. And, you know, neurotransmitters, they control most of our lives. Whether you're happy, you're sad, you're hungry, you're angry, you feel lonely, uh, how you talk to people in social groups, that is all a result of neurotransmitters. That is all a result of brain chemicals that are happening beneath your service that you have no idea. And so when it comes to what specifically, serotonin, this, this neurotransmitter serotonin, this controls and this regulates your mood. This regulates your appetite. This even regulates how you talk to people in social groups. And so for most of um, you know, the scientific community, like 10, 15 years ago, they thought that because serotonin is a neurotransmitter, it's got to be in your brain the same way that all the other neurotransmitters are in your brain. Mm-hmm. It turns out they're actually wrong. It turns out 90 to 95% of serotonin isn't even in your brain. It is in your gut microbiome, which is directly connected to what you are eating. And so in terms of your diet, your diet literally directly controls what neurotransmitters are being properly operated and functioning in your brain through your gut microbiome. And so when it comes to like what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, you know, one thing I will say is there's no such thing at a universal as a universal healthy diet, there's no such thing as everybody should be going keto or everyone should be going vegan because the truth is that's just not true. And it doesn't play out for everyone. But the, the, some of the fundamentals are completely avoid artificial things. So, so if you buy food that comes in a, in a, um, in a box or a bag, flip it over. And if it has ingredients that are, like they don't make sense from the perspective <laughs> of like you read them and it's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, normal natural ingredients like chicken, salt, lime, garlic. And then all of a sudden it says like, uh, you know, monosodium, red six, maltodextrin. You don't understand that not because like you're supposed to be a scientist or a doctor to read what your food says. Mm-hmm. But the rule is if you want proper health is, when you look at that ingredients list and you don't recognize it, your body won't recognize it either. And that may have varying side effects depending on the person. For some person who eats it, that may be, they become, you know, that may be like their metabolism messes up and they become obese. For somebody else, it may be anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so there's many different ways that this plays out in each person, or for someone else, it may be a stomach issue, or for someone else, it may be an issue with their sinuses. But the one fundamental is that we should not be eating anything artificial. We should be eating 100% natural foods, at least at a basic level. And if people want to take it a step further, uh, a friend of mine, Naveen Jain, he has this company called Viome, Mm-hmm. And it's the world's only company that can functionally test your gut microbiome as well as your mitochondria and other things that then gives you direct results and access that tells you specifically how you should change your diet and what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating. And so, yeah, I mean, there's some complexity to it, but the truth is, is you should just eat natural foods. And if you do that, you will have a direct, direct 
uh, causation correlation with the neurotransmitters, which literally are controlling your emotional states and controlling your energetic states. Right. Um, and uh, with regards to sleep, I mean, the rule of thumb should be to get seven to nine hours of sleep. I mean, that's what I've uh, read in some of the research. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on this. But um, what I will say is that the, the national like recommended government average is uh, six to I mean, not seven to eight hours, seven to eight hours. Um, plus, or, plus or minus 30 minutes, mm -hmm. depending on the person. Uh, that's amazing advice. Uh, so, you know, I'm so happy for you, the way you've uh, taken such Thanks, uh, difficult adversity and you've turned it into something so profound and you've actually left when you, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you know, you won't have regrets because you've created something nope. that's much bigger than you, you know, you, you know what I mean? It's going to help. Uh, people for much longer than after you're gone, for example. So, but say some people, yeah. you know, they, as I mentioned, they don't even know, you know, they're suffering from anxiety and stuff like this. So how can people, and this is my last question is, how can people harness shyness and uh, turn it into a superpower like you have? Yeah, man. So this is the truth. Um, because I was shy for so many years, I am now the world's greatest listener. And so my brain now has just been conditioned to, I'm literally one of the world's greatest listeners because I didn't talk for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I'm able to understand people in a way that most people normally can't do. And so, you know, that's one of them personally for me. Another one is the fact that because I lived in most of anxiety, the truth is, is that, if you can harness that anxiety, you can use that as a superpower. And like what that means is like another example is, you know, I, I, um, you know, anxiety is a lot of thoughts. And the truth is, is like, that's what's enabled me to be a fast thinker, mm -hmm. whether that's in a business meeting or in a conversation or in a podcast or in a speaking event, I'm such a fast thinker and I'm able to produce ideas because that's what my head was telling me like every single minute of every single day. Yeah, I can, I, I see that because this podcast, you know, this isn't scripted. These, you've not read the questions before, but you have the ability to pull one thing from here and one thing from in there and then create something amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah, and so that's literally the work of anxiety, man. And so the best part is, is like when you start to do these things, then you start to shift your level of anxiety and once you start to reduce that level of anxiety by eating healthy by meditating then it's much easier for you to then harness it and then use it without it sort of hitting you back in the face mm -hmm. and that's sure. yeah that's the main thing i would say True, 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 true. Uh, you know, I think uh, we're almost done. We're done with the time, actually. It's five past. Yes. If there's uh, one final piece of advice that you'd like to offer to our listeners, what would that be? I would say it's super easy to listen to a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. You should get out there, take three takeaways from this podcast, write them down, write it on your phone, and then do them, and then send me or, or Rajdeep a message after. And that's how you actually learn something. Definitely take uh, take action. Uh, you know, knowledge is only 
potential power, as Jim Quick says, it's taking action that truly sort of consolidates that power. And wonderful advice. So yeah, I think that's uh, that covers uh, everything. So you know, once again, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Okay, brother. If I can help with anything, feel free to let me know. Okay. It was a pleasure. You're a great podcast host. All right, brother. Take care. Bye bye. Hi there, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real World Education Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts as that's the best way to support us. If you think that this can help your loved ones, please don't be shy and just share it with them as word of mouth is another great way to support us. Follow me on LinkedIn by simply searching for my name, Rajdeep Singh. I'm doing a 52-week challenge where I'm going to be posting a new video each week. You can also follow me on Instagram at rajdeep.1997 or on Spotify by searching for my name. Until next time, this is your host, Rajdeep Singh, signing off.